Welcome to a Goddess Interrupted podcast, a safe, supportive, and nurturing community where survivor sisters can tell their stories and be heard and have access to helpful resources for your healing. Whether you are far along in your healing journey or just beginning, we are here for you. Hello, and welcome to a Goddess Interrupted podcast. I'm your host, Christine Sun, certified energy medicine practitioner and holistic nutritionist, and most importantly, survivor. I am super excited about our guest today. Jungle Flower is a Toronto-based poet, photographer, interviewer, and humanitarian. Over the course of her 18-year career in the arts, she has traveled the world and worked with high professional personalities and entertainers, but nothing has impacted her life more than her work as a community organizer. Her humanitarian journey began after she escaped a psychologically abusive relationship at the age of 21. Since then, she has sought out ways to add positivity to the world, discovering her purpose in 2012 when she founded Reclaim Your Voice, an organization that curates safe spaces where people who have experienced abuse and sexual violence can share their stories. Overcoming her own paralyzing fear of stage fright to bring awareness to the realities of abuse, Jungle Flower is now a sought-after speaker who combines storytelling, spoken word poetry, humor, and truth in a way that inspires audiences to boldly reclaim their own voices. Jungle Flower joins us today to share her survivor story with us and to talk more about her awesome community, Reclaim Your Voice. She's going to be joining us through the Anchor app by phone, so we're just waiting for her to join us now. Jungle Flower, hello! I am great now that you're here. Thanks for coming to the podcast. Yes, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks. My pleasure. So I've been following you for a very long time, since I probably like 2007, 2008, with your calendar. Wow. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) When, yes. It was, it was just beautiful work, beautiful photography, just showcasing the beauty and power of women. And I've been hooked ever since. Oh, thank you. Thank you so yeah. much. And so now here we are many years later, and I've still been following you online. Um, and I have, I did see that you were posting that you were traveling around the world and all these different places. And you kept talking about this this healing journey that you were on and you touched a little bit here and there mm-hmm. about your story, um, which is why I invited you to the podcast today, hoping you could share that story with us. Mm-hmm. Sure. Is there anything in particular you'd like me to speak about? Today? Nope. I, I really just want you to be able to have the floor and speak about speak about your story in whatever way uh, aligns with you it doesn't have to be details or it could just be more about how you feel or how you felt about the whole thing what process you went through sure Uh, so it happened when I was 18 years old Uh, I met someone who was very charming and sweet at first but over time uh, throughout this progression rapidly progressing relationship. Uh, He became meaner and meaner, more cold, more cruel. And uh, for about three years, I was experiencing psychological abuse at his hands. I had no idea that psychological abuse was a thing. I had no idea. um, I had no idea the seriousness of it. Uh, The way he was sort of... um, warping my perception was to make me believe that he was stressed out going through a rough time and I felt a lot of guilt and pressure about breaking up with him and abandoning him during such a rough time so I stayed uh, until the day that he put his hands on me and when that happened it was the first time where I was like okay this is abuse I definitely know what physical abuse is and so 
I uh, left him then and there. But of course, as usual, he didn't make it easy for me to get away. He never did. He would always ring down my phone and send ceaseless emails and texts and fill up my voicemail, uh, which is something I later learned is actually considered mm -hmm. stalking, mm -hmm. uh, which mm -hmm. is a crime. And um, when I like really was at a place of, you know, I don't want to be with him, but he won't leave me alone. And I don't know how to get away from this dangerous person. I, uh, he got arrested for something unrelated and I was able to get some distance in between us and start to kind of rebuild my life. Um, and it was a, I don't know, maybe about a year after escaping that I finally came across the term psychological abuse and came to understand how serious it is. And what's really sad is that because it doesn't leave physical wounds and it's something that's considered quote unquote invisible, a lot of people go through it. A lot of people uh, don't recognize the warning signs and a lot of people don't receive the support that they deserve because it's often downplayed or over overlooked mm -hmm. or minimized because of the lack of physical mm -hmm, evidence. Mm -hmm. So these warning signs that you're talking about, can you can you share with us what those are? That's a great and important question. Uh, so for psychological abuse, what it often looks like is gaslighting, which is, um, again, uh, convincing someone that their reality is completely wrong. So, for example, uh, I guess I'll relate these to my own personal experiences. Uh, over the course of our three-year quote-unquote mm -hmm. relationship, uh, people, women kept approaching me anonymously or even just straight up like sending me emails or messages uh, identifying themselves and telling me that they or someone they knew was also seeing the person while I was seeing him. And I uh, I, and he would always deny it, always like kind of bigged himself up and made himself seem like he was this like really big deal, which mm -hmm. he wasn't. Um, and so he'd always convince me that these women were jealous of our relationship, et cetera, et cetera. I bought into all of it until this woman came along with uh, like indisputable evidence that he in fact was seeing her as well. And um, despite all of that, uh, despite everything she had to show me to prove that what she was saying was true he like violently denied it for a month i questioned him every time i saw him for a month because i would not let it go something told mm -hmm. me not to let it go uh, and eventually he did crack and it and confessed to it but the fact that i have evidence and i'm showing you you have done this and he is still lying about it um that uh, that's a form mm -hmm. of gaslighting convincing someone that what they know to be true mm -hmm. is not true it's very disorienting and uh it's it can be very effective in brainwashing someone so it's something uh that we should all like be aware of what it looks like um psychological abuse also involves wearing down people's self-esteem mm -hmm. over time in my case he was often criticizing my body comparing me to other women especially his exes who you know were beautiful mm -hmm. women um uh, regardless, like, uh, sorry, I just feel like it's kind of, uh, I didn't even need to say that they were beautiful women, like, just comparing me to anyone, period, you know, that's, that's what it is. That's where the uh, degradation of someone's sense of self-worth yeah. comes in. Um, and just the disrespectful and degrading names he would call me when he was mm -hmm. angry, all these things to wear away my self-esteem so that it would uh, come to feel like I was deserving of the treatment he was giving me. Uh, just blatant lying it can be considered psychological mm -hmm. abuse. It ties into gaslighting as well, but just lying to get their way, guilt tripping mm -hmm. someone, a lack of uh, freedom. I uh, Someone once told me that uh, their partner was very abusive and he was uh, so possessive of her that he wouldn't even let her go to the wow. bathroom wow. by herself. So just that lack of space. He also uh, convinced me to cut all the men out of my life because he was so possessive. Um, so isolating people from their loved ones and their support systems is a form of psychological mm -hmm. abuse. There's so many. Yeah, there's so many different parts to it. But those are some main ones. Wow. I'm so sorry that you went through all of that. That sounds really, really hard. Yeah, it was hard to go through at the time, but I am pretty much at this point, anything but sorry that it mm -hmm. happened to me because I'm so in love with my life today and with who I am today, this flawed but uh, 
uh, committed to growth person that mm -hmm. I am. Uh, so I don't, I don't regret it. I love every part of my story from where I'm standing. Mm -hmm. today. So how do you feel that everything that you went through affected your body, your mind, your spirit to, to get you to this place you're in today? I think the pattern that I've been seeing in my life is that when things hit me really, really hard, they uh, kind of also at the same time at this, like the, what feels like the lowest point for me, it just causes me to kind of like rocket ship up. So what this did, it, it did the same thing where it took me really deep and really low. And uh, from that place of like not knowing how to deal with such overwhelmingly painful and quote unquote negative emotions, um, I started to look outside of myself and, and think, wow, there's so many other people out there who must be feeling this way. And so what can I do for them? Uh, that I'm longing for in this moment. So what I was longing for was hope and comfort and reassurance. So I decided to uh, look for ways in which to add that to the world. So I started a, a humanitarian project called 500 Random Acts of Beauty, or what I call a humanitarian street art project, partially inspired by Banksy, where I was doing anonymous uh, acts of kindness through art. And so that alone was healing and uh i wanted to restore other people's faith in humanity because that's what strangers had done for me during some really rough moments and uh it helped me to see the world uh through a more positive lens instead of just seeing it as you know this world is full of mean cruel abusive people so i wanted to do that for somebody else and so i started um, coming up with all these like little ways to to add love to the world mm -hmm. and one of those ideas to uh, do an event, host an event for people who'd experienced abuse mm -hmm. where they could come together, share their stories. And uh, because I knew how good it had felt when friends had given me the space to do that. So I started this uh, event and uh, it kind of outgrew the original project and it take, took on a, a life of its own and it's become an entire movement on its own. It's called Reclaim Your mm -hmm. Voice. And uh, this April 2020, we will be celebrating our eighth anniversary. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. Oops. Wow. So so when you began this thing, I, I guess you had no idea how big it was going to become. You're just trying to, I guess, find healing for yourself and, and help other people. But did you have any idea how big this would get? Actually, uh, when I started it, I was in like, I was pretty happy. I was, you know, I was in a new relationship and I really didn't do it for mm. myself. I did it to support other people on their journeys, not realizing how much work I actually still did have to do. And so this project that I really started with the intention of supporting other people has ended up being one of the biggest healing aspects of my own mm. life. Um, and ironically, I actually did know it was going to be big when I first, like when the idea first came to me, I had this like incredible feeling and this rush of ideas. Mm -hmm. But after the first event, I didn't want to do it again because the first event was me facing like my lifelong paralyzing fear of stage fright. Mm -hmm. um, it, it was, it's always been a really, really big and, uh, intimidating, overwhelming fear of mine more than any other fear that I've had. And uh, the first event required me to both do public speaking and also go into detail and share my story for the first time. Mm -hmm. So it was like two very big, very challenging things at once. And I felt horrible after. Mm -hmm. So I didn't think I'd do it again. I thought it was a mistake to do it, to do it mm -hmm. at all. And um is because of other people present in the room that I decided to do it again because they were like, this was amazing. And then I met a group of men and well, people in general, but the men really stood out to me because they were so caring. This is just like randomly. I think the next month I met these folks and they, they did poetry. I'm like, wow, spoken word poetry is so powerful. We should incorporate this into our events. So I invited men to attend the second one and uh, it's been, it's been going from there. That's awesome. And it's open to all. Yeah. Good. So, so reclaim your voice isn't just for women. It's for, it's for everyone. Everyone. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. We, we advise people uh, to come if they're over the age of 18 because of how heavy the subject matter is. Mm -hmm. So we kind of have like that little age restriction in place, but other than that, everyone's welcome. Even people who haven't experienced abuse or sexual violence are welcome to attend. Uh, if they want to come to either learn about it, uh, support or be there for a loved one who needs to attend. 
Oh, that's nice. That's really good. So this is located in Toronto somewhere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we have three monthly events that we host mainly in the city of Toronto. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what we've been doing. We just had our 56th event. Um, Yeah. So it's been going really well. And then uh, outside of that schools and different organizations book us to, you know, uh, come in to speak or to perform poetry or facilitate workshops. So our reach is expanding. Nice. So somebody was not in Toronto, but they, because I know lots of people will listen to this that don't live here. Is there is is there any way for them to kind of tap into this? Can they can they Skype in or call in or something like that? We've received those requests uh, a number of times over the years, but for us, in order to maintain a safe space, we don't film or photograph our mm-hmm. events unless someone's given a consent. But to have a live recording going is not something we've entertained for the you know for the sake of confidentiality, for the sake of safety. We'll probably re- um, revisit that idea in the future, mm-hmm. um, but that is yeah it's just not an option at the moment um we do have like past episodes of a radio show we did that's on our website at Mm reclaimyourvoice.org we have an instagram account where um we just post memes every day uh relating to abuse and sexual violence and healing and boundaries and all the stuff that can be of benefit to someone on this healing journey Mm -hmm. so um that's another good place to connect with us but uh, the best way for someone who's not in Toronto to experience what we do would kind of be like, well, what's going on is uh, several people, because I myself am connected to people all over the place who are benefiting from the work uh, that I'm sharing through my story or through Reclaim Your Voice. And so they've advocated for us to come into their schools. They've spoken to people at their schools who do these kinds of bookings and they they get us to come in or organizations get us to come in. So that's another way people can experience us is just to like find out who in their region could bring us in and kind of go from there. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Yeah. So, so poetry. Um, I know you as a photographer. So how did you end up getting into poetry? Did you always have kind of an inkling or or something inside that led you towards poetry? No, not really. Um, (laughs) I was, when I was growing up, I was a bookworm. And then when I entered high school, I don't know, my mind, my brain just changed. And suddenly it was so hard to focus on reading. Uh, I was horrible at writing essays. Words in general, when I was younger, came to me quite easily, I found. Like when we had like little poetry projects in school, when like grade five, I'm talking about. Um, but I never like considered it as something I would do, especially not spoken word poetry, because that required standing up in front of people, which I was terrified of doing. But as I mentioned earlier, meeting that group of poets and conscious people after the first Reclaim Your Voice event, um, all my friends just became poets. Like everyone I knew around me was a poet. I, it was kind of a big year. I'm sure I, I, sometimes I have to be like mindful of what I'm sharing in interviews. And when I give talks, because not everyone is operating (laughs) from a spiritual perspective, but I do. And I know you do. So (laughs) I know I can speak more (laughs) openly now. Um, So 2012, uh, I'm sure, you know, and probably experienced yourself was a huge awakening year. Mm -hmm. And so Uh, I started Reclaim Your Voice that year, which was uh, April of 2012. And then another, you know, positive movement and large uh, conscious organization, Rise Edutainment, uh, based out of Scarborough, started in, like, I started on, I think, the 7th of April, and they started on the 16th of April. So we started our organizations nine days apart, and uh, we all grew together like we're a family. And so everyone around me was a poet, and this woman met me and met my friends, and she said, do you want to perform poetry on my television show? And I said, yes, even though I hadn't written a poem before, but I'm like, this is an amazing opportunity to bring light to Reclaim Your Voice. So I jumped at the opportunity. And uh, the first poem I wrote, which is the poem I wrote for that show, is called Firefly, and it's about escaping an abusive relationship. Ah, so yeah, I actually went and watched the 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 short film Firefly, and I was just in awe. It was so beautiful, so moving, so so poetic in the movement itself, along with your poetry. It was just amazing. The directors uh, Andrea and Monica did an incredible job. Mm -hmm. So, So I was blown away. Yeah, it's really special what they did. So if they, if someone wanted to go and watch Firefly, 
I, I found it on your Instagram. Would that be the best place to go or is there somewhere else they could find it? Yeah. Instagram is a great way to find it. It's on my IGTV. Um, mm-hmm. Otherwise it's on um, current website, which the address might change soon, depending on when someone's listening to this, but it's zigazagastudio.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, that website is basically like a collection of my photography, poetry, interviews, um, I think that's it. There might be some more things. My store is there too with my clothing that I sell. Um. Yes, I I need that move from my Aura Fam shirt. (laughs) (laughs) Spiritually ratchet crowd, right? Yes. As soon as I saw that, I was like, where do I buy? I need one. And I should have, oh man, I should have asked you for, it's too bad you're not here in person because I would have asked you, bring me one, bring me one. Yeah. Yeah, I, I met a Reiki master the other day and she saw my my clothes and the move from my oral fam and the fuck up some chakras. Yeah. Uh, she just, I there's no one like in my community who speaks like me. This is how I speak. Yeah. I need this. And so, yeah, I get it. I, I totally get it and relate to that. So tell me more about these. These are they, Is it just shirts or is it like more different kinds of clothes, pants, dresses, what, just the tops? It's mostly, yeah, it's mostly mostly tops. So we have long sleeve t-shirts, hoodies, and sweatshirts. Um, I have some sports bras, but those aren't released yet, uh, waiting for the summer. Um, and yeah, so it was basically born out of me um, being very stressed out on a project. I uh, one day declared to the universe, I'm a director now. And then within a few days, I actually got my first booking, which is a little project that TIFF was putting together, Toronto International Film Festival mm-hmm. for the, uh, the youth, um, Canadian Youth and Justice Congress. I feel like I'm getting that name wrong, mm-hmm. but I basically uh, needed to put together some social justice, uh, creative, poetic videos. And so I was very stressed out because I'd never put done any official film projects before. And it was a lot. And uh, there's just a lot to do. Very little time. And I had very little knowledge. So what I often do when I'm stressed out with work is I turn to another form of art. And this time it happened to be hand lettering. Mm -hmm. I'd always found hand lettering to be fascinating. And so I bought these um, brush markers and I started practicing it. And for months, for months. (laughs) I know it's not as easy as everyone thinks. Yeah. I'm sorry, say that again. I said it's, it's not as easy as everyone thinks. It just looks like you just write it with your hands, but it's it's way harder than that. Oh, no. Actually, I picked it up pretty quickly, and I, I often think it's because of, like, the amount of stress that I was experiencing. <laughs> I just had a lot But when I was doing that for months, I couldn't stop. Like, mm-hmm. I was addicted. It was everything. It was the most calming thing for me. I had, like, sheets on sheets just full of random words, Uh words that just had letters that look pretty together. Mm -hmm. And it was also a bit of stream of consciousness. So through this process of like trying to release this stress and falling in love with this art form, um, all these phrases were coming to me. One of them was fuck up some chakras and the (laughs) other one was move from my aura fan. And now they're on shirt and they're selling well. And I I really love that it's something that came out of me wanting to take care of myself. You know, it was Mm -hmm. self-care that gave birth to this. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. So, so do you feel that all of these things that have come to you and you, you mentioned even about uh, reclaim your voice, do you feel that this was the universe like sparking up a, a light inside of you or where do you feel like the inspiration came from? I feel like it is exactly what you said, Mm -hmm. because when this idea came to me, as I mentioned, first of all, there was a rush of ideas. And so I do connect, I do often attribute that to like a connection to a higher power when Mm -hmm. there is that like unrestricted flow of creativity. And also there was just the sense of knowing I have to do this. There was zero doubt. And when I have that feeling to me, that means like this is meant to be. Uh, so yeah, I do feel like it was the universe uh, using me to to do this work, which is needed. You know, a lot of people are suffering mm-hmm. and my formula is very simple. It's just 
talk about it, like come together as a community and talk about it. And when you've experienced abuse, um, any type of trauma, really uh, traumatic memories are stored in our brains as like wordless and fragmented memories. So being able to write about it and being able to talk about it actually helps to repair that. And then community and connection is also extremely important to healing because abuse often happens in isolation. So that's something that I'm kind of noticing a lot more is that healing from abuse and maybe from other things too, but specifically from abuse often requires doing the opposite of that, which was traumatic to us. So if you've been told to be quiet and you've been abused or scared into silence, speaking about it helps. If your boundaries were violated, which is what abuse is, um, setting and enforcing boundaries are important, you know? So, Mm -hmm. and then again, the isolation aspect of it, uh, either through the abuse or through the healing, we can, you know, we often find ourselves isolated from the world. Sometimes just the shame alone keeps us isolated. So connecting with community is so important. And when you connect with community on these topics, you really hear that the similar threads in our stories and realize that like, it's not just me who it happened to. It also happened to them. I'm less alone in my experience. I have less to feel ashamed about because it's not just me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I found that um, other forms of therapy would rather that be the client does not talk about their trauma, which I find interesting because they feel like it, it causes the, the patient to reopen their wounds and go back into that place, which is not beneficial for them. But I disagree. I, I'm right there with you. I feel like, you know, opening your throat chakra, speaking your truth is so healing and having other people there to to hear that and support you is so important. That's why I'm doing this too. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Um, so, so back to reclaim your voice. Um, so can you tell us more about what, what someone might expect to experience if they attend one of these events? Yeah. So at each event, we have three people who prepare in advance to speak. So no one who attends is forced to speak. I think that's a common misconception that people don't come to the events because they think they're going to have to talk. You're not going to have to talk. You're more than welcome to just present in the space, even during our, our group activities. So we have three people share their stories. And then in between the story sharing, we have people who are performing spoken word poetry. Mm-hmm. So not everyone is ready yet, or even cares to, or wants to uh, share their story, you know, word for word, what happened. So being able to share it through poetry, or sometimes even through dance or song mm-hmm. is a is an abstract way to kind of work through that trauma and to speak about it. And so after the stories and the uh, the poetry, we have a creative group exercise we do together. So uh, in the past, that has looked like, oh, there's so many things we've done. We've done a different exercise for every single event. So mm-hmm. it's, it's been a lot. Um, but the last event, we had someone come in. We also have guest speakers or guest facilitators who come in to uh, do demonstrations of different healing modalities. So mm-hmm. our last event a sound bath uh, the event coming up we have a reiki master coming to talk about energy emotions and the chakras mm-hmm. uh we have a laughing laughter yoga uh, facilitator coming in in the future oh wow we've done yeah just all types of, and then creative exercises which again uh, art is such a powerful way to process pain so that's a that's a big part of it's a big tool that we use in our work um we a recent workshop we did was uh, writing a letter to our bodies to and from mm-hmm. our bodies what would our bodies say to us and what do we have to say to our bodies um because often our experiences kind of alienate us from our bodies, especially if it was physical or sexual violence. And so just kind of like gentle exercises that help us reconnect in a positive way can be very beneficial. Wow. That laughter yoga sounds very interesting. How do you, how do you hold a downward dog or uh, oh. a tree pose when you're laughing? <laughs> <laughs> I wish that's what it was because that sounds amazing. But it's literally just laughing. Like you're just doing little things to to laugh and keep the laughter going. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, for one exercise we did when I went to the class in the past, she she said, "Imagine you have a gigantic piece of dental floss in your hands, and mm-hmm. it's running from one ear to the other ear, and you're basically flossing where your brain is." So we had to do wow. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then we had to go up to every every single person in the room and make eye contact with them while we were doing it. 
<laughs> and we had to laugh the entire time. So what was so fascinating about that is that, first of all, I noticed, like I really, really became aware of it during that session that when we're laughing really hard, we are taking like deep, forceful breaths of air, especially the exhales are very mm -hmm. forceful, like ha, mm -hmm. ha, ha. Yeah. And what that's doing is pushing air out of your diaphragm because that's why our abs hurt when we laugh really hard. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the that's the emotional center, right? The gut. Yeah. And so uh, doing that helps to clear that out. And also emotions are meant to be regulated. I think I might have done that class when I was going through a breakdown and I couldn't shake off the sadness and like the pain and everything I was feeling. And so going there, uh, the facilitator herself said, that emotions are meant to be regulated and that's when I like really learned we have to take breaks from certain like phases in our lives like certain uh when we enter into a certain rough place no matter how difficult it is how challenging and how overwhelming it is we have to be able to step away for a period of time and do something fun um just to just so we don't um dwell in a place too long and uh you know become too attached to certain emotions it's important right. to to keep regulated yeah nice cool so so you've told us about what you have created for others but what what did you do for your own healing journey what what happened after you experienced your trauma what steps did you take to heal um well honestly the the the, the giving back work the volunteer work was such a huge part of it so mm -hmm. uh mentioned what I did for others, but it, in the end, and it's something I recommend to others too, is it volunteering is very, can be very beneficial to our healing because you are essentially giving someone what you think you're lacking, mm -hmm. you know, or even just, just giving back period helps us feel better. Just has, it's beneficial to us, mm -hmm. uh, to our well-being. So that's one thing. But uh, when I went away in 2018, I went to Costa Rica for a month to focus on my healing because I was a really rough, I was having a really rough time. I, I had no choice but to, to focus on my healing because that's when I had my breakdown and it was so bad. I couldn't do anything else. I couldn't even breathe properly for like a long time wow. uh, for what for a long time. Yeah. So I had to go away. And that trip was everything to me. It was uh, everything I needed and more. And while I was there, I began for the first time uh, posting personal things on Instagram or that that trip rather is what started my journey. I didn't actually do it until I returned because I didn't want to post on Instagram while I was there focusing on my healing. Mm -hmm. But once I returned, I started posting everything I'd created out there and sort of like alluding to the fact that I was healing from something. People knew that I was healing from abuse. Uh, a lot of people did know, but um, no one really on, on Instagram, the people who I'm connected to didn't really know the story mm -hmm. and it was a big step for me. Um, and I'm so glad I did it, but the bigger step came in 2019 where I really did go into detail on this very public platform about mm -hmm. what I'd experienced. And so mm -hmm. going away in 2018 to take that time for myself. And then in 2019 to take that time for myself as well, to write out these old painful stories and fill myself up with positive new ones um, was what I was doing for myself because I was in Bali, Indonesia. I was in Vietnam and Thailand and these beautiful places, eating great food, seeing great sights, immersed in nature um, so that I could be gentle with myself through the process of releasing this old pain. Mm. Do you feel these places you went to had a, a, a magic about them? Absolutely. So just like, um, you know, as you'd asked about reclaim your voice and if it was the universe, like kind of putting something in me to do it. Um, that's mm -hmm. how I felt like. So when I was healing from the breakdown, my spirit said, go to Costa Rica. And this time around, my spirit said, go to Bali. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, like Costa Rica and Bali and v Vietnam is probably like maybe possibly my favorite country on earth. I really love oh. it. If I were to anywhere it would probably be Vietnam um, but Costa Rica and Bali because of the amount of nature and uh, Bali as well is a very conscious community out there so like it's like a there's an abundance of healing modalities available and I, I suspect that every time in the future that I do need to restore and recharge I'm going to be going to Bali to do mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. and Costa as well so both of those places have volcanoes and I've noticed that places with volcanoes you know because of the minerals in the in the lava 
the mm-hmm. soil is richer so the the produce is like brighter and juicier and bigger and the, the there's just like an abundance of life so yeah I, I think any place with a volcano is gonna have that and I, I can't wait to experience Hawaii one day because I can only imagine what it's like out there oh that's on my bucket list for sure yeah. yes Wow. So when you when you went off to these places, did you just go by yourself or did you, did you were you part of a community or what did you do? Yeah, I was by myself. Uh, Costa Rica, mm-hmm. I traveled with a model for the first couple of weeks because mm-hmm. I was like, OK, that's how I used to kind of offset the cost of trips is like go out mm-hmm. there with a model, take amazing pictures and get booked from those pictures to kind of make back what I spent. Um, right. But uh yeah, I just, uh, Costa Rica, the last two weeks where I was really like focused intensely on my healing was just me. And then the nine months I was in Asia, Southeast Asia, I was by myself. Of course, I'm going to, you know, different things in the community, but I, I specifically was not looking to make friends. I could have made friends. I could have had travel buddies and all of that, but I just wasn't looking for it. I needed to go through what I was going through alone. Someone actually did come to check me and he stayed Mm -hmm. with me for about a week and then he was going to come back again when I was in Vietnam. And I told him not to, I said, I I have to get through my story. You're going to like, you know, make me feel great while you're out here, but I have to go through the emotions that this is going to bring up. And I I felt I needed to do it on my own. So Mm -hmm. that's good. So, so being out there on, I guess, being out there on your own, because for some people, if they've experienced trauma from um, a relationship, they, they might feel fear in being alone or traveling alone, but you didn't feel fear. You felt it was kind of uh, healing to have that isolation for yourself. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, And I understand the fear for sure. I was terrified the first time I went on a solo trip. Um, Mm. Not so much while I was there, but more so just like at the airport. And my my boyfriend at the time had come to drop me off. And there was a certain point he couldn't walk with me past, Mm -hmm. past security. So um, that was like very, very scary, just walking away from him and into this unknown journey. But once I was there, once I got off the plane in Cambodia as my first stop, I was like, I still feel like myself. I still feel like I'm in Toronto. Like it's not, it's not that the feeling wasn't that different. And so I've really come to realize that a lot of our fears are just so much bigger in our heads and sometimes just doing it in, in the act of just doing it, we, you know, we can realize that it's really not that serious. And uh, I always also choose countries that are like known for being safe for solo female travelers. I don't just go anywhere. I definitely do my research and Southeast Mm -hmm. Asia, Costa Rica, those are places that are known to be very safe. Mm -hmm. You've got guts. I I still (laughs) definitely have that fear to go traveling by myself. I've never done it because I'm scared. So good for you. So what did you say? I said, may I ask what you're afraid of? Um, I've just experienced, I'm on my own healing journey too. I've experienced so much, um, assaults that I guess there is that piece in the back of my mind. That's afraid of what might happen if I find myself by myself. Mm. So that I I'm fine at home to be home by myself, but to go to a foreign place and be alone. And I went through a period of people being worried, you know, what if, what if they're stalking me? What if they're watching me? What if, what if, what if? And that's still very much so alive in the back of my mind. So what if someone's watching me? What if they follow me back? What if, what if? Yeah. Thank you so much for, for sharing that and for being open about that. Um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people who are removed from this world of healing and who are uninformed about abuse don't realize mm-hmm. that it's so much more than just the moment of impact and the moment of trauma mm-hmm. itself. Like the healing journey is arduous and complicated and it comes with things like this where it's like it really deeply affects the way we see the world. So mm-hmm. uh, I can definitely relate to that. Uh and can definitely say that it is possible to get through it and 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 get to the point where that is no longer, uh, you know, a, a, a powerful concern in your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good to know. I'm still working on it myself. I've got my journey ahead of me for sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. So do you feel do you feel in this place now, like right now at 846 p.m. on <laughs> March 10th, that you are like full blown goddess? 
I did not expect that question. Um, yes, I feel like I always am, always have been, and always will be, just as everyone should feel about themselves, I think. Uh, not even should feel. Everyone, you know, will feel as they feel, but I think everyone is, uh, regardless of how we feel about ourselves or about how, you know, not well we're doing in life or how we keep mm -hmm. failing. No, we are always gods, goddesses, and, and you know, all of that. We are always divine, um, and it's all part of the journey. Beautiful. So what do you, are there any practices you do just with yourself outside of the other things you're involved in that you do for your own kind of detox or dumping of whatever you've got going on in your mind? Yeah, really great questions, by the way. Um, so I will tell you my perfect day uh, in terms of like routine and ritual. So I'll wake up and before I get out of bed, I write three pages and then mm -hmm. I get up and I nourishment is a very big part of my self-care. So I'll make hot water and I'll add lemon mm -hmm. juice, uh, Himalayan salt, cayenne pepper. What else is in there? Sea moss. Uh, <laughs> that is nice. Sure there's more, but that's... Uh, that's the main stuff that's in there. Oh, baking soda and apple cider vinegar. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Good as it sounds. Um, so drink that because a lot of us are dehydrated. And so that really helps to hydrate and it just helps with detoxing and all of that. And then I'll do um, 30 minutes on when there's time, I'll do an hour, but usually 30 minutes of Qigong and uh, nice. with meditation and then follow that up with a workout and then my day starts. So my, my morning routine is like around three hours long. Um, so I have wow. to, yeah, that's why I'm saying like on an ideal day, cause I'm not always waking up at five or 6 AM uh, mm -hmm. often because I find myself to be very creative at night and that, you know, keeps me up quite late. So I do want to get back into the flow of that, but those things right there really help set me up for the day, help to, as you said, kind of like release things from my mind. So I'm approaching the day with a clear mind. They help to boost my energy. Um, yeah, uh, there. I just watched an interview yesterday with Deepak Chopra, and uh, mm -hmm. he said that uh, he was asked, what is the medicine of the future? And he said things, exercises that stimulate the vagus nerve and Tai Chi mm -hmm. and Qigong uh, do that. So it's a very powerful mm -hmm. thing. As simple as those exercises look, they're really good at connecting with us to the universal energy and in my case, I would say it's helped to speed up my manifestations and uh, just keep me overall quite positive uh, regarding the situations and circumstances I'm experiencing through life. Wow. Yeah, Qigong is really amazing. I actually want to, I'm waiting for the classes to open, but I'm wanting to take uh, medical Qigong. Wow. So I can use that in my work. I think what I'm, what I'm doing is pretty close to it. But medical Qigong, just like what you're doing, is all about the power of the breath and mm. and how we can use the power of our breath and through different postures to manifest what we want for ourselves, to bring about healing at accelerated rates. So, mm, yeah. Amazing. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. So what about your your diet? Do you, are you, do you do like Ayurvedic kind of cooking or do you eat more raw foods or vegan or what's your... Do you, do you eat for spiritual purposes? Yeah, uh, so I have lived a vegan lifestyle for the past five years. Uh, lifestyle mm -hmm. means it extends into my purchases, like for clothing and furniture. I really do my best not to buy anything that uh, comes from an animal or from the exploitation of animals specifically. Mm -hmm. uh, so mm -hmm. that I found has been an incredible <laughs> gift that I really, I didn't expect it to be as great as it's been because I find that I'm less angry after cutting out all things animal from my diet. I find that it's mm -hmm. increased my compassion. I find that it's raised my consciousness because mm -hmm. every meal, every bite is a conscious decision. Um, so that's been incredible. Mm -hmm. It's also like uh, not related to the healing journey necessarily, but it's made my mind clearer, my skin clearer. I dropped a lot of excess weight that I had, you know, accumulated from basically having cheese with every meal and eggs every day. <laughs> Mm -hmm. so, like physical differences and then uh yeah it's just been a really really wonderful gift I the reason I went from vegetarianism to veganism is because I heard that it can heal pre-diabetic symptoms which I was experiencing and it mm -hmm. did in fact do that for me wow nice so I I like that you touched on making choices 
So let's talk about choices. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So beautiful thing about being a human being is we all are blessed with the gift to choose better for ourselves and that what we think becomes our reality. Um, do you, I know you believe that now, but did you believe that back in the day when you were going through this, this trauma? I don't think I was conscious going through the trauma. I think my journey after the trauma is what made me a conscious person mm. and more aware person and awakened person. Mm. Um, so mm. no, like I, I didn't, I, I can't even step into the frame of mind I was in back then. It's really, it's foggy for me. And I was just, it mm. feels like I was a different person at that point. Um, and I, I yeah. think the word unconscious because uh, I recently heard that this person who does work in this field said she doesn't call people abusers or anything like that. She just says unconscious or, or very conscious in terms of, you know, doing the opposite of what abuse is. So that's a practice I'm trying to take up right now is like just to use the word unconscious. So I feel like I was unconscious and going through everything is what enhanced my compassion and my empathy and, and the positive qualities in me. Nice. Good. So, so these people that come to your events, um, do you, do you give them any like homework or different practices they can do once they leave the event? Um, so the events themselves, not so much. We don't really, we haven't discussed that. And it's something I actually would like to work into our programming. It's just simply like doing a debrief before we close the event. What is everyone going to do for self-care? And just kind of putting that, you know, having everyone right. offer their ideas and their practices so that self-care does become a more regular practice for everyone, hopefully. Um, but aside from that, mm -hmm. uh, during the events and during the other workshops we host, I feel like the activities are designed to plant seeds. So it's not that we expect that mm. in doing this workshop or doing this exercise, you're going to experience this huge healing breakthrough, although people do often experience breakthroughs doing these exercises, but more so they're planting a seed, they're mm -hmm. doing an action that later on throughout their day or their week or their month or whatever, it kind of comes up like, oh, wait, I know how to handle this because I did it at the Reclaim Your Voice event. Or, oh, doing that exercise was symbolic of this moment right here. I recognize this now. I'm aware of this now. And I have a tool to respond to this situation with. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. So, okay. So if you had a message that you would like to give to everyone who's listening to this podcast, what would that message be? Or what is oh, that message? Wow. Um, I guess what's coming to me right now is that we are greater than our circumstances. Um, so whatever mm -hmm. you might be going through, keep going. Um, and if you're in a great place, that's awesome. But life is, has its ups and downs. So when that next down comes, keep going um, and, and, and embrace the journey and just don't stop. Believe in better because you are meant for better and better wants you as much as you want it. So keep going. I love that. I love that. Okay, so... Um... Are you going to send me one of your beautiful poems that I can add to the end yes, of this podcast? I that. <laughs> Yay, I'm so looking forward to that. So I, everyone, I am going to add that to the end um, once I have it. And, and how can people connect with you if they wanted to find the you or reach out to, to you? The best way to connect with me right now is on my Instagram page, which is Jungle Flower Energy. Uh, and then Reclaim Your Voice, our website, uh, is reclaimyourvoice.org and our Instagram is reclaimyourvoice. I suggest following the Instagram page because one, we uh, let people know about our upcoming events there, but also we post uh, memes pretty much daily about healing from abuse and experiencing it and just insights that we discover that have been very helpful to us. So uh, yeah, Reclaim Your Voice's Instagram page is a great mm -hmm. way to connect uh, if you're someone who's healing from this type of trauma. Did you did you tell us what that Instagram account is? Yeah, you told us the voice. website, but yeah. Okay, much. so everything's the same. Wonderful. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on this podcast. It was an absolute pleasure. Best of luck with it. I think this is a great concept for a podcast. Thank you. I really think this is special. Just like how you felt something just light up inside of you. I felt the same thing as soon as I came up with, I don't know where it just came. I got us interrupted. My whole body just like ignited on fire. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you again. And um, everyone, please go ahead and follow Jungle Flower at all of the different things she mentioned. And I will put that in the description of the podcast. And thank thank you you again so much. Thank you everyone so much for listening. And now I give you Jungle Flower's poem, Firefly. He lived alone in a dark house, in dead silence at the dead center of a dead end road. He hadn't left this place in many years, maybe more. In fact, he'd forgotten how to find the door, but he seemed content rooting through the contents of his unconscious self without a flashlight. Right, light, that was what he needed, so he decided to take hers. He reached out his palm to draw her near, and without any fear, she came. But when she got close enough, his other hand closed in of all the things she never saw coming. The firefly soon found herself sentenced to life in a jar on his shelf, trapped. But she understood that he needed light, so without a fight she stayed. She played house, raising invisible children, making a home from this delicate prison. And as he looked around the room, now illuminated by her light, he saw that the walls were decorated with paintings of the saddest moments from his life. He was blinded by the sight. The dark still persisted, so she kept giving light, and her shine reached all the ends of the unending night. This brightness was something his eyes weren't used to, so he had to turn away. And with her light now cast upon his back, he saw before his eyes a dark figure and figured darkly that his shadow was his reflection in the mirror. Believing himself to be the monster who's been haunting his own dreams, he screams, he turns back to her and starts attacking her and his anger is so spectacular that she believes she has done something wrong. So she absorbs all his blows, and they diminish her glow, because the pain is just too strong. But she is too small to contain all his fury, so he hurries to find something else to destroy. He smashes the windows, punches holes in the walls, and the halls that go loudly with the noise of it all. Terrified, the firefly lifts her head to pray. And in doing so, she realizes There is no lid on her jar. In fact, there never was one. And just as the house becomes engulfed in the flames of his rage, she lets herself out and she escapes from the fire. Fly, fire, fly. You are free.